Welcome to the Spoiler Room, eight weeks of Alfred Hitchcock. The next eight episodes, we will be covering some films that are known and not so known of Alfred Hitchcock's. We hope you enjoy the show and aren't too scared. If you do get scared, please pause the podcast, have a drink, come back and finish the podcast. Thank you and enjoy. Hello, my movie maniacs. Yes, here we are. We're getting deep into our eight weeks of Hitchcock. And here for our third special in this series, we are looking at the 1955 film, The Trouble with Harry, directed, as you would expect, by Alfred Hitchcock, just like all the films we're covering over these uh, next eight episodes or so. And tonight, I have a wonderful voice and a great gentleman in the room with me tonight, a crew member that you're familiar with out there, folks, to talk about the trouble with Harry. And it is the lovely Andrew Shearer. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Hey, man, I'm good, dude. I don't got no trouble with Harry because I got a bikini trimmer. <laughs> that's that's good. Uh, you use a trimmer instead of wax, huh? Nah, man. You <laughs> Let's not get crazy. <laughs> yeah wax is wax is that you know there's just some things you just gotta go no i draw the line so nah man plus if you draw the line it's gonna be crooked right i mean it it is because you can't pull the wax off straight but no nah, it's uh, not uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> but trouble with harry 1955 and andrew you do it so well would you mind giving the synopsis of the trouble with harry oh sure man well uh, spoiler, the trouble with Harry is that he is dead. There's mm. a dead body in the woods. And the movie is just about uh, all the people that uh, run into the body, the ways that they are interconnected, and uh, finding out what exactly happened to Harry. And it's uh, hilarious, despite being a movie where a dead body is basically <laughs> hanging around the entire time, uh, dug up, then buried, and dug up, and buried, and, you know, there's a little kid. It's just... Yeah, it's some screwy stuff, but again, hilarious movie. Which is something you wouldn't exactly expect, I think, up to this point for Alfred, for Mr. Hitchcock, would you? I mean, because he had, you know, Notorious, we just, we talked recently about Rear Window, and now you get this black comedy. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, it, it surprised me. It uh, it's been a long time since I watched this film, but watching it again, I was like, wow, man. I'm like, this is, you know, as you would kind of expect, this is really good Alfred Hitchcock, but this is just a straight up black comedy. This is something different than what people would associate with Mr. Hitchcock. Uh, now, you were kind of excited that we were covering this, and uh, I understand this is a, a very uh, favorite film of yours. What is it? Uh, We'll just get initially, uh, what is it about this film that you would say uh, that appeals to you so much, that that has you enjoying it so much? Well, um, in uh, in like the mid-90s, they uh, did this big restoration of Vertigo. And it was like a big, they did like this big 70 millimeter theatrical re-release and all this stuff. And um, I was working at a video store at the time, and I had never really seen much Hitchcock other than like, you know, Psycho. I just had that kind of like basic knowledge of him. And because I were a video store, man, I just was like, all right, let's go watch all Alfred Hitchcock. So I watched as much Hitchcock as I could after going to see Vertigo. I was blown away by it. 
and trust. And I think it was the best because it was the one that stood out the most amongst them all. It was, um, yeah, a comedy. And you would think like, is this going to work by somebody like Hitchcock? Who's, you know, his movies are driven by his own fears. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and, and also the direction is always very like, you can tell he came from silent movies. So that um you know the actors whether or not they're saying anything the stars whether or not there's somebody we never changeable it was so unusual for him because it was so like dialogue based and you know performance based and so funny it almost just felt like he was letting go in for himself or just to like keep throw people on their ass that thought they had him pinned as far as his style yeah i, I will say that this is kind of like yeah, you know what, guys, I could do this too and do it well. Um, but you mentioned the fears, and I, I think it's interesting because I think he might still be working that in into this film because uh, while it is a black comedy and there are very many humorous parts, and we'll talk about some of the cast and and the characters in here, but this theme of kind of underlying feeling of well, when you die, who's actually going to care? Yeah, no one in this movie. I mean, did you kind of get to feel it? I mean, I, you mentioned the fear now, and I'm wondering if that still kind of applies here for Alfred in that here we're showing, here's a dead body people find in the woods, yet no one seems to really care about the body itself or the person they're all worried about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's true. And, um, you know, you take away that natural revulsion that someone would have over finding a body or the emotional reaction that people are expected to have from it. And, um, it is sort of a macabre and almost like disturbing and, and could be terrifying, um, situation to just kind of throw this in there and have somebody be so nonchalant about it because, uh, God, you know, and this is this is probably shooting way off of into a sidebar here, but walking around in, in Los Angeles, um, under the bridges somewhere, you just see um homeless people um in sleeping bags zipped up or completely covered from head to toe. And you people just are so used to them being there, you just walk past and you continue your conversation. I like the first time I ever saw that, I could not continue my conversation. I could not, you know, because where I come from, yes, there are homeless, but they might be resting. They might, you can, they still look like they're alive. But these people, especially like early in the morning, if you walk past, it just looks like dead bodies zipped up. You know, I'm saying some body bags Mm -hmm. and the idea of just walking past them, just, it bothered me. It really did. And so I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think there, there are some, uh, there definitely has to be some some of his some some of his fe- uh, fears and peculiarities uh, working its way through this. That's one thing that even if he decided to jump out of his normal uh, tone and even genre, he's not going to avoid. It's an artist's um, marks are always there. Yeah, and I think they are definitely here. Plus, using this black comedy to show your tendency of human nature, because uh, we have the first person who thinks he kills. Harry, yeah, uh, Captain Albert Wiles, played by fantastically by Mr. Edmund Gwynn, who we're getting up on the holiday season. People should know that name. Um, he thinks he shot him, but 
he doesn't seem that concerned about who he shot as much as as what might happen to him. And then right after that, he gets visited uh, by Mrs. Uh, um, who is it? Um, what's her name? Oh, Ivy Gravely. Oh, Gravely. What a great name. Gravely. Gravely. <laughs> she, she is enamored with the captain so much so that she's just like, oh, look, dead body. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these, these this first two meetings. I mean, this really kind of establishes, gives you an idea of where this film is going, doesn't it? With when you see these two having the conversation that they're having next to a dead body. Yeah, it's true. And when does the kid find him? Does he? Is he? Does a kid run across it first or or after these guys? The uh, actually, the kid runs across it um, before I think. Because I was gonna say my I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but um, my main memory of Trouble with Harry is that great shot of Harry's feet, clearly a dead person or at least someone who's knocked out, and then the little boy with the fake gun standing in front of the body. Actually, uh, I think uh, he um, no, I think the uh, um, the captain was okay. f- first in finding him, but. Um, he hears the kid coming, and so he he ducks, and then the kid shows up, and then the kid goes running away, and then we get the tramp showing up who steals takes the shoes. Takes so wrong. It was so wrong. I just loved it though because he's like, oh, oh. looks around, takes the shoes, and yeah. then we get the doctor who's so into his book he trips over the body and ignores it. Then uh, Artie who is, by the way, played by Jerry Mathers. Um, <laughs> the beaver. The beaver. He brings his mom, who is Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Introducing a young Shirley MacLaine, might I add, whose mom, and she's like, oh, look, it's Harry. Ah, he's dead. Hey, let's go get <laughs> lemonade, Artie. Dude. No one, that's the thing. That's what's so funny about this. The humor is understated. Like no one reacts the way that you think they should. And it is outrageous. Like every single time. Cause you're like, certainly someone is going to find this guy and scream and call the cops. But no one <laughs> who sees that body screams and calls the cops. Hell, Marlowe shows up, uh, who we have Sam Marlowe played by John Forsyth. He shows up, he's an artist, and he draws the guy. <laughs> drawing the guy. <laughs> I, I just love that because what's what what I think works though, Andrew, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I think works though in what sells this is as ridiculous as it might be that people aren't shot by the dead body there's enough realism to the characters to where you're like i could see people reacting this way yeah no no you're absolutely right and um the the more the, the more nonchalant they are about the body the more the audience has to become nonchalant about the body too so you're like all right well if nobody else gives a fuck about this dead guy I shouldn't either. And then you, you're, you're basically Hitchcock makes you just like them, <laughs> which Christ, what a thing to do, you know? And, and then soon the way he develops the character relationships, because Marlowe starts, you know, putting the moves a bit on Mrs. Rogers, who has this kind of 
macabre approach to her. I loved Shirley MacLaine in this, her character. Yes. She was so good. You know, she, they, they've got this unusual relationship here. And then, you know, Captain is actually soon we're opening this film about a dead body. But not only is everyone nonchalant, but soon you don't care about the body. No, no. And God, what a thing to do as a filmmaker. What a thing to do to your audience, you know? And you don't realize it at first, but suddenly you're finding yourself engrossed and going, okay, well, she did this to him. And yeah. then you're you're actually giving the characters, because you're connecting with them, you spend more time with them than the dead body, and you should be horrified by their actions, but you're not. You care. You don't want the cops to find these people. Yeah, and you also, like, uh, I think, um, uh, what is Shirley McLean's character's name? I don't Jennifer. know. Jennifer. 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 She's like, yeah, I hit him with the bottle. And you're thinking, all right, well, she mur- she murdered him. Nothing is done about this. <laughs> no, no for all you know, she's the one that killed him. You know, he bled out or something. You know. Yeah, but then you find out later from from Miss Gravely that well, this guy came at me thinking I was his wife and tried to pull me in the di- bushes twice. So I thunked him on the head with the sharp point of my heel, and I'm like, holy Jesus! Yeah. But she lets a, she lets her think she killed him for a long time. Like the yeah. audience, I feel like for most of Trouble with Harry, I, I think for the most part, the audience thinks for a good long while that uh, that Jennifer Shirley McLean is the one that killed him. Yeah, I, and, and they play at that that you really be just because of the way her character is. Again, we have a female character in a film that's in the fifties that is not your normal what you're used to seeing in cinema female character i mean marlo freaking comes up to her and drops a line which i couldn't believe going oh you're you're pretty i'd like to paint you i'd like to paint you nude and he grabs (laughs) her dress and he just pulls it up and she is not shocked she doesn't get offended she just moves in fact she just puts up like yeah you know just brushes him off completely like this such a strong female like you know what i i don't care if you're here or not and you could tell she likes him but at the same time she doesn't just go ah you know yeah she's not an idealized like femme fatale she's not the blonde like she's not who you would uh who you would associate with hitchcock uh ingenue or or leading lady Mm -hmm. necessarily given his other films or his best known films. Right. But at the same time, she is still different than a lot of your 1950s ladies. Cause she is, is, is very grounded. She is strong. She's just like, Oh yeah, I did this. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. And she, she's not, you, you still like her, even though you're pretty sure she's the one that killed this guy. Well, yeah, it makes you wonder, you know, if she killed, it made you wonder for a while she killed her first husband. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's just so matter of fact about everything, you know? Yeah, that that's it. That's what I was trying to look for the words for. Was that she's very matter of fact about things, especially when she just opens up and starts telling Marlo her, her life story. And she's so confident and matter of fact and just telling the story straight out and, and, and being very bold, if you will, especially for that time that you're just like, wow, maybe she, she did kill him, but 
then she did it. Uh, Marlo, the artist who who wants to help Ivy get the captain, she used who I love that. Didn't you love how gravely used the coming across the dead body and the captain trying to dispose of it? She, I thought, subtly used that to get a date with him. Oh, homie, they are they they. Uh, she asks him out. Why at the same time when they find when she, when he's finds that body, he's talking about, oh, God, I killed him. Oh, God, what have I done? All this stuff. She comes up and says, what what seems to be the trouble, Captain? Like, sees a dead body, doesn't scream, doesn't freak out, doesn't run away. He doesn't like, hey, you know, where are you going, lady? You know, you're seeing me do that. None of the stuff that happens in situations like this in movies. Yeah, they make a date and they're both so giddy and happy. Dead ass body right under their feet. <laughs> They don't. They don't care. It is. It's Harry. Poor Harry. <laughs> dead, dead body right there, and they're just. Oh, they're so stoked that they're. Oh, it's just a sweet moment between these two old people. Dead body. <laughs> old old people love is so adorable. Yes, plus dead body. Yeah, God. Plus dead body. Yeah, you know. And she used the situation because she knew he was feeling a little guilty, and he wants to. You know appeal to her so she doesn't go running to the authorities because he's expecting her to which she doesn't and he's like okay yeah yeah well, i'll do a date you know and they're they're like yeah sure yeah, there's a part between in act three near the end that i want to make sure i don't forget to talk about yeah go ahead uh, a thing between uh the captain and miss gravely um that i always wondered about um about hitchcock but i i didn't necessarily since we're kind of not necessarily there in the timeline of the movie just don't let me forget no we, we can talk about it now i don't mind jumping around oh, okay yeah there's a there's a part where and you know near the end where he just pops off with you know what if i'm not this like big deal captain like what if i not been around the world and shit like would you still like me if you know, I'd only been like so far as like the, what did he tugboat. say? He's a tugboat captain. Yeah. He, was, he's, he's, he wasn't like some big, cause you know, the whole movie you're thinking this guy's been through war and all, you don't know, like they, they everybody's got, got a lot of respect for him and he's old and he's, you know, he's got all this stuff around his house, nautical things. He just, you don't question that he's been like, a, you know, he's done and seen a lot of things. Cause he talks about having done and seen a lot of things, but there's a moment where, you know, it's clear their relationship is probably going to take a, a step further. He stops and he's like, would you still like me if you fight? He's kind of confessing that he's really not 100% this big deal guy. Yep. And and I can't remember how she reacts, but she seems to be like, okay. Yeah. You know? Oh, she's fine with it. She she didn't care. She's to, like, me, to me, that was just like, um, I, I like, I later, at some point I found out um, that Hitchcock was a virgin when he got married and his wife who was, you know, anyone who knows anything about Hitchcock knows how important he, she was to his, um, movies. Right. And how, how just like, you know, how much of a right arm she was with him. If that wasn't some sort of a reference to that being the only woman he'd ever had romantically in his life, mm -hmm. you know, and his like maybe insecurities about that showing up on screen. I, I could see that. I could yeah. definitely see that. I think I yeah. He could definitely uh be kind of using the captain as his voice in Well, some you know, you, you kinda couldn't help but see that because also he's an English guy, he's old, you know, and this is very much a British humor kind of film, which we should also mention too, because this was a not a hit movie in the United States by any stretch, but in um 
but overseas it played. I know that the British loved it. I think it played for like a, a year or a year and a half in Europe, something like that. The French, of course, uh, loved it as well. We know Truffaut loved it because Truffaut, <laughs> Truffaut loved Hitchcock. But like, uh, yeah, it it um that that part that part to me always like it made me think. Once I knew that about Hitchcock, when I went back to it, I I remember seeing that and going like, oh shit, Alfred Hitchcock. You tell on yourself a little bit, you know, because <laughs> I mean, he's in all his movies like you see him. Yeah. Cameos and stuff. Um, but I feel like that was a moment where it was really. And of course, you see him in like the weird ass fetishes and stuff like that, too. Um, but but um, what movie was it when he made the lady be blonde? Was that Vertigo? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's got to be one of the most like. <laughs> <laughs> like outwardly just creepy <laughs> Hitchcock thing. But um, yeah, that, that part was like almost, pre- almost sweet, you know, like really innocent kind of moment, like, but really raw too. Oh yeah. It, it was, it was unexpected out of the blue because of the way you, he portrayed this character throughout. But at the same yeah. time, at that point in the film, cause that's near the end, you're just like, Oh, we still like yeah. you, Captain. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's a revelation, just not the type that people I think were expecting from him. It's one of the many reasons why it's such a great film. Yeah, it it just many and and you do it, glad you mentioned it because it is the humor in here is is definitely British. It yeah. is definitely the dry humor. This isn't one of those comedies where it's like dialogue, dialogue, punchline. You know, a dialogue. You know, where you're supposed to laugh. You know, you you get those cues usually, where in a lot of like, especially American comedies nowadays, where you you're, oh, this is where we laugh or whatnot. And in here, you don't get that. You just you just laugh at the absurdity and then of the characters' reactions and and that. But it is dry. It is the dry humor. It is. It is, yeah. but it's like sustained, man. From mm-hmm. like the very beginning to the very end, it's just this sustained, like feeling of humor. Um, and so many like weird macabre moments uh, throughout the whole thing. There's a part where the kid, like um, Marlo and uh, Jennifer, are talking out on the porch, and, and her kid, oh, yes, r- runs up with this dead rabbit. And you're thinking, like, <laughs> here's another dead thing, right? And if they treat this dead man like nothing, for sure, this rabbit's just gonna be. You know what I'm saying? They're not gonna. And they're having like. I don't know what they're having like lunch or something. They're drinking, they're drinking lemonade on the porch. He like, he he walks up with the dead rabbit. He walks up with a dead rabbit. And I think, I think like he, he, for some, for some reason, like they, he ends up putting down the rabbit or giving somebody the rabbit and he takes food instead, like as a trade or something. He trades. Yeah. He trades. uh, uh, I forgot exactly what it is that he trades, but he does. He trades, uh marlo uh for he gives him the rabbit for something and at some point during the conversation oh that's what it was marlo for whatever reason had a frog in a paper bag yeah we don't know when this happened we don't know if he truly intended to bring this over for the kid so he can you know get in good with the kid to to get close to the mom He's just got this paper bag with this frog and the kid's got the dead bunny and he trades the dead bunny for the frog. Yeah. So no Marlo's got the rabbit. And then the kid gets into this wordplay with Marlo about yesterday and tomorrow and today being 
tomorrow, yesterday. <laughs> it's and weird, so, but then it pays off later. When but they then it pays off because body. At, yeah, but uh, but even before that, uh, the kid then at some point asks for the bunny back, and Marlo gives him the bunny, and he's still walking around with the dead bunny and the mom's like what are you gonna do with the dead bunny you can't really do anything with that and he's like hey it already got me a frog <laughs> yeah and what no one says <laughs> what kind of mom is this p.s he just goes right from put down dead rabbit to pick up food and eat you know <laughs> yeah doesn't ask him to wash his hands <laughs> doesn't ask him to be hey don't put that near the table <laughs> You know, I don't know what kind of what kind of rabies is on it. Nothing. He just flees. He just he just fully puts this. He may have even had a rabbit in one hand and a like a I don't know piece of cheese in the other something, and he's just eating it. You're just like, man, what is going on here? It is the it's the Hitchcock thing of just you're not in the and you're not in reality. Like no. I, that's my favorite thing about his movies, and that's always my takeaway from it. And why I love it so much is like logic's not so important. Um, you know, cause like a lot of film culture and a lot of film criticism is based on like lapses of logic or plot holes and things like that. Every Hitchcock movie, at least that I've seen has almost like a dreamlike kind of quality to it, you know, to where like logic is a little bit out the window and that's, that's exciting, but also leads itself to his signature, which is the suspense that he's known for. Well, and especially these now and, Again, I, I admitted on, on one of the previous Hitchcock episodes, I'm not that well-versed in, in Hitchcock. I know I fail as a cinephile. I know, Internet, thank you. Um, but, you know, watching these back-to-back -back now, this one, just like with Rear Window, almost plays out like a stage play. Yeah. Because of the way the dialogue is, especially for, night, for a 50s film, some of the other ones... There's films uh, from this age and a little bit earlier where you've gotten those dead spots, you know, where there's really not a lot of dialogue. You can hear the kind of um, hiss or hum from the recording, you know. Yeah. But his films are actually very dense in dialogue, at least yeah. the ones that I've watched. And it surprises me. It is a surprise, but what you have to remember is like Hitchcock is the reason why cinephiles are so obsessed with Hitchcock is because he is a guy who started in silent film, who got accomplished in silent film, who then switched over to sound and talking movies and remained a visual kind of storyteller. Even if the audiences were, even if the characters rather were talking and all that was going on, he maintained like a vice grip of control over everything at all times at no moment did you ever feel like something was improvised or discussed or had input with the with the or or that the actor changed anything you know you always felt you always get this feeling of like this complete and total vision from this guy and it's a fascinating it's a fascinating career i think and um i'm not super well versed in him either to be quite honest uh i don't revisit the movies that often um, except this one, <laughs> <For some reason. laughs> this one just is a trip every single time. And it, I think it is because, because it is so talky and so different, but yet it just moves and moves and moves because the, the overarching thing of the movie is dead body, dead body, dead body. 
Is is nothing going to happen? Are there going to be no consequences here? And P.S. How did he die? Right. Yeah. It's he, always he, a thing. He keeps that a mystery, and naturally, it always feels naturally not forced, but it naturally at some point he reminds you. By the way, there's still a dead body here, and there the is way, a guy looking for them. There is a guy on the case. Yeah. Yeah, the, you know, he reminds you of that. So even in a black comedy, he gives a little bit of tension and a little bit of feeling of, of you know, uh, foreboding on things. Because you're like, how is this going to come to a head? You know, yeah. and then pretty soon the characters start interacting with each other more, which you don't quite expect. You know, they're crossing over. Marlowe helps uh, Miss Gravely look better for the captain for you know her date and yeah. then and then you find out you know there's the kid and mrs rogers and then you know people know mrs rogers and then all of these come together over the dead body to at one point the four main characters are hiding behind a tree stump because someone's coming that's going to fall over the body which has been at this point buried and unburied like four times yeah, yeah, and the re- guy, the reasons why they keep digging him up is fantastic. You know, this guy, the poor captain, keeps having a crisis of conscience. You know, and they they keep helping him, and he just oh, it's it's you. Did you start thinking, man, like how bad does this motherfucker start to smell? Like, <laughs> were you thinking about that, or is his arm off? No, I was I was thinking about man, that body's got to be in some dire shape, yeah, some serious shape because it's like the course of two days or whatnot. So he he's got to be smelling, and he's just being unburied and buried and unburied again. And, and it, it yeah, you're like sitting there going, whoo. Yeah, and the two biggest dumbasses in this movie, I think, are the sheriff, yes, and the doctor. Yes, because, because you, you, the sheriff is just he's like a sub Barney Fife type, you know, he's not even like real. He's, I think, a deputy or something yeah. like that. He's just yeah, he's, like, a, he's, he's a deputy sheriff. He's not even yeah. in action. It's the kind of town where you figure like nothing ever happens. You know, he's got one bullet in his pocket, just like Barney, you know, <laughs> if that, you know, and he's acting like he's all. But nobody, nobody cares. Nobody believes him. And he's slow. He really is. And then but the doctor's got to be my favorite character the whole movie. Cause he is so, I mean, a doctor's going to trip over a body while he's reading a book. You know what I'm saying? Like twice, right, twice right away. You're going like, man, I do not want to, if, even if I got a cut, I'm not going to this motherfucker, but there, there's one part where they're talking about, you know, they, they finally let the doctor know and he gets to like examine, um, Harry and everything. And he just seems like he's on some other planet, right? <laughs> he does. He's like, uh, yeah, he died of cardiac. He died of a seizure, you know. And that's all. I mean, he just and they lay out everything what happened, and he's just like, "Oh, this is the worst nightmare of my entire life." And he just goes home. Yeah, homie. Just uh, <laughs> it's what's so great is like all oh, that great shot of the Harry's feet sticking out the tub. Because at a certain point, they go like, "All right, we're just gonna clean him up, and we're gonna set him right back where we found him." everything's just going to be like, you know, it's going to be cool. This is after like Mark said a couple of days of him being dug up and moved around and all this shit. They decided just going to put him in some clothes. 
you know, get uh, wash his clothes, maybe. Yeah, they're, like they're they're, they're uh, because the doctor trips over like the third time. I think he <laughs> trips over. He actually sees the dead body this time, and <laughs> they just tell him, "Wow, he met an unfortunate accident." And the doctor's like, "Oh, yeah, I guess you kind of did." And they're like, "Well, can you examine him?" He's like, "Well, I got to get my bag." And they're like, "Okay, we'll take him to our house." He's, the doctor's just like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> Yeah. And so they take him to this house and then everybody's doing Harry's laundry, yeah. you know, and all you see is Harry's feet sticking out from the bathtub. Yeah, man. And even the kids like, Hey, why is he, why is this guy in the tub? <laughs> right. When the sheriff shows up, cause the sheriff's finally, he's doing some investigating. Finally, he shows up and the kid's like, Hey, what's that guy doing in the tub? He shouldn't be in the tub. And they're just, they push him out of the way and they close it. Yeah. It's like, ah, uh, even, a simple film because this film the, the the settings aren't that complicated you know the setup it's all dialogue and character yet you do still get some of that that nuance and subtlety that that alfred puts in his frames yeah you know that shot is great because you've got the cop standing right in the doorway next to the open door where you can see the feet of harry and you got the kid trying to talk and you got all that in one frame and that's where the humor works, but it's yeah. not like slapping you over the face joke, but it's just naturally a humorous moment. Yeah, and it was great for him to take the piss out of the police, too, because, you know, you think about the way the cops are in a lot of Hitchcock's films. They are like a really kind of an ominous presence because one of Hitchcock's fears was of the police. Sure. It, uh, like, you know, and that's that famous story about him when he was a kid. Um as as punishment getting locked up just temporarily just to show him what it was like and he like you know that fucked him up forever but it was it was neat to see them uh, a police character compared to the way the cops are treated in other um hitchcock movies to be just so like uh, so much of a like a non-entity you know like he's not really creating tension by being there just mildly you know so i don't think anyone ever thought he was going to figure it out and everybody was going to go down you know yeah it, it, it was great to see that the, him take the wind out of the sail of the cop a little bit, the bumbling, which you needed. You needed for a film like this. You you didn't need the foreboding, serious cop character like we saw in, say, Rear Window or even Notorious. Um, You needed more a little bit more of a Keystone-type Barney Fife character in this, and yet it still fit. It didn't feel like it was over-exaggerated because this is a one-road town. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, living in the middle of Wisconsin, I've seen many a share of one-road towns. And so everything going in this on in this film, it felt like, yeah, I could see this happening <laughs> in a yeah. small town like this, you know? Yeah. Oh, God, how scary. Then that's their attitude toward death. Don't die in, uh, in this town. <laughs> Don't no f- one's going to care about you. Don't die in a small town. It's real easy to dispose of your body and make it disappear. And yeah, they, they just, nobody gives a damn. Trust me. And little kids also don't shake hands with them because they, <laughs> they really just touch something dead and then they touch their ass and then they touch the cookie. Don't do it. <laughs> touch their ass. But, but they, touched, know, they touched a dead rabbit. Yeah. Or yeah, he was like six years old, you know, just, you, I don't got to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and you know, the, and this is where, where people who have a history go to hide out. Cause you have that with the, 
with uh, Shirley MacLaine's character, uh, Jennifer Rogers here. She was looking to escape her old life. So she went to this small town. You've got the tortured artist who he wants to sell his paintings, but he couldn't make it in New York, but he still acts kind of like he's in New York. He does, man. And how great is that ending, man, with that millionaire coming to buy those paintings? Because he shows up earlier in the movie. That's where Hitchcock's, right? That's where his cameo is when there's that that old dude. I believe so, yeah. Like being interested in the paintings and they're just like, you know, whatever. But then later he comes back and he's wanting to give um, Marlo like a shitload of money for his paintings. Yeah. And we're talking 1954. So the fact that he's a millionaire, that that's like money <laughs> yes. yeah homie's just got, he's just got his checkbook open talking about you know you tell him, be ridiculous as you want to i want this i want this art you know yeah and, and the, the way film, he reacts to it is amazing the film takes this suddenly it goes from this macabre dark comedy to a really sweet scene with what marlo does he decides you would think but the way he was through most of the film and his character, you're like, oh, he's going to take a bunch of money. No, he ends up doing like a fulfilling of wishes for everyone in the small town. <clears throat> and it, it blows your mind because you're like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You didn't expect a character arc in this film the way it goes. Yeah, you know? it's, it's, a, it's a very sweet capra-esque ending <laughs> he got I, I just wonder i don't know if anybody ever asked hitchcock well you know was this part of his humor by having this ending or what or if you're just like yeah yeah y'all think you got me pegged watch me do this i can do whatever i can do the same shit that the rest of these the, my contemporaries can do they can't do what i do but i could do what they do watch yeah, you're right. It is a very Capra-esque and, you know, every time a bell rings, the angel gets his wings type of moment because you get this where Marlowe is like, well, Mrs. Wiggett, he asks, what do you want? And she's like, well, I like strawberries. He's like, you like strawberries, right? Make sure she gets fresh strawberries once a month for her entire life. And <laughs> he goes down the aisle and, you know, the captain, he doesn't even ask for much, just a hunting outfit and a a, a decent gun and it's just like wow it's like he's like, a, he's like a, a good pair of flax a functioning penis and a wool cap <laughs> i don't know if he i don't remember the functioning penis part. I'm, I'm sorry i think i'm remembering the european you, cut or something you, you might have misquoted that though it would have been a, fitting a class ring a, a gold necklace blue blockers <laughs> Oh, yeah. a backstage pass from a cool Modi concert, <laughs> <laughs> and a pair of MC Hammer pants. <laughs> pair of MC Hammer pants, nothing fancy. Nothing fancy. Uh, they don't have to be gold. They could just be cloth. Is fine. <laughs> Crotchless, but nothing fancy. <laughs> just bedazzle the area where the crotch would normally be. I, That's I all I want. I'm a simple man. Um... <laughs> Great. I'm just picturing this now. I'm like, great. Now you've ruined Miracle on 34th Street. Thank you very much on that. <laughs> no problem. Only Miracle on 69th Street. Well, I did want to um I did want to mention though, Shirley McLean, talking about black comedies. I was thinking about this while we were talking. Do you remember this Richard Linklater movie called Benny or blah, blah, blah. what was it about? It was Jack Black is the guy that murders her. 
She's like this socialite, and she's an, like an asshole. It was a true story out of Texas. You remember this movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I forgot the name of it. Uh, not Barry. That's a TV show. What the hell was it called? Bernie. Bernie. That movie, man. That was a dark comedy like this, wasn't it? I mean, a little more American, more, you know, but still. Yeah, a little more American humor. But yeah, it was definitely in the same vein as this film. Shirley MacLaine coming back on the dark comedy with the murder comedy. Yeah, man. I was just thinking. I didn't even think about that till now. Yeah, it, it plays it well. I mean, oh yeah, the the characters in this are just quirky enough to, as you said, kind of have this alternate world where these people don't care. But at the same time, you're going, I could see this. Yeah, <laughs> the whole time. You <laughs> no, know that's what, what makes it frightening. Yeah, no, I do, I do. It it, it, it at, at any point you're just sitting there going, I'm sitting there going. As ridiculous as this is, especially maybe even more nowadays, you're like, I could see this. I could see people completely just looking at a practical aspect of unburying and burying a body again, washing his clothes, you know, whatever. It's so nonchalantly handling a dead body, you know, maybe even more so nowadays uh, (laughs) uh, compared to back then. Uh, But this just had to be an interesting film especially considering his other work could you imagine being in that audience people going in there expecting this oh it's a story about a guy with a dead body and you know there's going to be te- and what and here you have people discussing having wine uh, lemonade and you know talking about nonchalantly talking about painting people nude and not having anyone shocked that's another yeah. thing I, I found was there's a lot of uh, I I am horrible with words, but I would say salacious things going on in this film. There is, man. I just honestly, the Americans just don't know what to do with it because what we like, and you and me talk about this all the time, it's all about expectations going in. It's all about familiarity going in. It's all about brand going in with us. We're not like concept based. We're like brand based and now franchise based. So people going in to see Trouble with Harry are like it's the master of suspense is what Hitchcock is. So it's kind of like with Shyamalan, you know, that's why nobody's going to let him make any other kind of movie because all they're going to be doing is looking for the twist when they look at one of his Shyamalan's movies, you know, with, with Hitchcock. That's why this didn't wasn't a success because was everybody expecting a kind of suspense, right? Or, or whatever. But to me, this movie has actually, I'm going to have to get the freaking book. Uh, you give me a second. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, this is in, and I just don't want to misquote. This is in the book. We're talking about Truffaut earlier. This is a book called Hitchcock Truffaut. They made a documentary about this book, but it's like almost every film nerd has this book. Hold on, I don't know where this is. The index actually is really handy for it because it tells you the subjects of that he's talking about, and then you find the page. This book was came out in like the late '60s, so it was after Harry was done, but before Hitchcock died. Uh, Francois Truffaut, of course, a, you know, f- a famous director of uh, great French films like uh, The 400 Blows, I think was his. I love that movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, but he was, you know, part of French New Wave and stuff. He he came to America uh, to have a, an interview uh, with Hitchcock and was basically trying to, like, you know, get people to kind of get to know him and, and uh, disprove some of the things that uh, some of the misconceptions about. Let me read this part, man, because this is something me and you actually talk about a lot. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Truffaut asks, um, I'd like to have your definition of the difference between 
suspense, and surprise. Here's what Hitchcock said. This is rad. He says, there's a distinct difference between suspense and surprise, and yet many pictures continually confuse the two, and I'll explain what I mean. You and me are now having a very innocent chat, and let's suppose there is a bomb underneath the table between us. Nothing happens, and all of a sudden, boom, there's an explosion. The public is surprised, but prior to the surprise, it has seen an absolutely ordinary scene of no special consequence. Now, let's take a suspense situation. Bombs underneath the table. The public knows it, probably because they've seen the anarchist place it there. The public is aware that the bomb is going to explode at one o'clock, and there's a clock in the decor. The public can see that it is a quarter to one. Now, in these conditions, the same innocuous conversation becomes fascinating because the public is participating in the scene. The audience is longing to warn the characters on the screen. You shouldn't be talking about such trivial matters. There's a bomb beneath you. It's going to explode. In the first case, we've given the public 15 seconds of surprise. And at the moment of the explosion, in the second, we've given them 15 minutes of suspense. And the conclusion is, whenever possible, the public must be informed, except when the surprise is a twist, that is when the unexpected ending is in itself the highlight of the story. How fucking amazing is that? <laughs> That's, oh, because yeah. we talk about like, like surprise versus, you know, like yeah. jump scares and all that stuff. But this is the key to why Americans got it fucked up about the trouble with Harry, I think. Do you think there's suspense in the trouble with Harry? Yes or no? Is this a, is is, it, is he still the master of suspense, or does he just shut that off in this movie and just go funny? What do you oh, think? Oh no, there's suspense in here for sure. There's, I think so too. Where do you think it comes from? Uh, it's from the knowing. Yeah, uh, right from the beginning, it, it's the knowing. You get the suspense because you have a dead body there, and everybody. There's a social norm to how people will react to a dead body. And the captain's fears are grounded in reality. No, he was an accident, but people are going to blame him. They're going <laughs> to think he's guilty. So totally. there's this suspense. Well, and then you find out, well, Mrs. Jennifer Rogers was his wife and her, her, her first husband died mysteriously. And she ended up getting into a relationship she didn't like. And she admitted that she hit him over the head. Maybe she's kind of a black widow and so then there's that yeah. suspense. and then even though he's bumbling you still get the suspense of the sheriff because you have the sheriff on the phone at that one scene or the sheriff's deputy who sees the drawing that marlo did of the dead face and then we cut away to them nonchalantly and casually and with no haste just washing harry's clothes and the audience knows okay the deputy knows he's gonna come <laughs> Yeah, and and there's the tension there. There's the suspense there because you're like, you know. And then they did that whole thing with the door gimmick, where the closet door kept opening, opening, and that was so scary. But they didn't play it that way. And that Bernard Herman P.S. This was his first uh, movie with Bernard Herman doing the music. Oh, I love the I love the music. I love Bernard Herman, and and it's so fitting in here. And and you get the sheriff. He shows up at the home. And so Marlo's leaning against the door that you know opens, and you think the dead body's behind the door. Yeah. So you have that suspense. So even though it's a black comedy, you get these Alfred Hitchcock suspenseful moments because you're like, oh no. 
And especially in the third act, you're so connected to these characters because they've endeared themselves to the audience that they're in this totally ridiculous situation and you 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 feel for them. You don't want them to get caught by the cops. Yeah. So you're hooked. You're invested in these characters. You, As horrible as some of the things, if you think about it, they've done, you don't want them to get caught. So your suspense is waiting for the sheriff to actually arrest them. Yeah. And I, and I think there's plenty of surprise in it too. I mean, the situation oh, yeah. in and of itself is surprise. The whole thing is masterful. And I'll, I'll say this cause I know we've been going on a long time. I'm a huge fan of William Castle. And I know that like, uh, with psycho, that was like a commercial decision because of, of, of a guy like, of uh, like, a William Castle being kind of like the dime store, huckster showman version of hitchcock the the you know working class like you know mustard on his <laughs> on his shirt sleeves kind of guy or whatever uh your you know but i love william castle and i feel like where trouble with harry lives is super adjacent to william castle do you i mean am i really off on that or what do you think it feels very castle esque it, it does have a vibe to that i mean it's still hitchcock of course but yeah it, it really i feel like it's if it went one extra half step it'd be a william castle film yeah know? and some of those later ca or some of those ones that aren't the bigger castle it's like zots or or four frightened girls or something like that where it's not so much horror uh and so much of a horror plot necessarily i just feel like these could almost play together Oh, they, they work well, I think, because this is enough of a little bit of departure from what people are used to for Hitchcock and the tone and the way it plays out. You you could see this as a double feature with it. Yeah, like, surprise I, I, and suspense, still. man. These guys, masterful. But that, yeah, I, I really think and they I, I really think that's why this is my favorite Um because it's just it's so different from his other movies and it has so much in common with a lot of uh, a lot of stuff from this era that i enjoy yeah i i i'd agree that you i could definitely see it in that boat and it it it's one i could sat there after i got done watching i'm like i could definitely see watching this again because i was just so fascinated by the way it plays out and yeah and he, he directs this film yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people like North by Northwest because of how funny it is and about that bouncy dialogue and all this stuff. But that's mostly Cary Grant yeah. doing Cary Grant. Um, this movie, I feel like everybody is like that. The dialogue is just like nonstop, sharp, witty, funny, just, you know, ridiculous. I, I you know, in the innuendos and things like that that we were talking about. So um, to me, this is just all around the best. It's it's the it's the greatest. And it, wouldn't surprise me to find out um, if this wasn't one of Hitchcock's favorites of his own work. I I wouldn't doubt it from what some things I've read, especially recently on Hitchcock. I could definitely see this being his one of his favorites, only straight up because of you know it's a departure and, and he just yeah. it feels like he's really having fun with this film. And also, it is yet another Hitchcock film. You look at and you go. If you look at the modern filmmakers, the ones that have become successful, you could see things they've borrowed from Hitchcock. Yeah. Oh, all over the place. He just, you know, um, if people wonder, like, 
what's the angle? What's the big deal about Alfred Hitchcock? Look how long we've talked about this silly ass movie. You know, mm -hmm. there's just there's just so much more going on, and you don't have to dig for it. It's there. You just have to like reckon with it. You know. Oh yeah, it's it's on the surface. It's not like it, this is something that we're really you know trying to search for. It's very easily seen. Um, you know, and it was funny with the dialogue. And yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up here because this is a dark comedy we've talked almost an hour for. Uh, but uh, and I'm not saying at all he's at that level, but you can see if people are fans of Tarantino at all with the way he's handled his earlier work, the way he handled dialogue, watch the trouble with Harry <laughs> and see how dialogue is handled here. Yeah. And you, you can't tell me that didn't have some influence in, in Tarantino's writing, especially his earlier stuff, because the way his dialogue plays out too, it, it, the, the dialogue in, in trouble with Harry, again, another one you feel could be a play because it all hinges on the characters and their interaction with each other. And that dialogue really just will fascinate you. It fascinated me because I'm just like, you know, you get a simple scene between Marlo and Jennifer and you're just sitting there and you're just captured in this conversation. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could compare it definitely to the death of Marvin in Pulp Fiction, which is, among many other moments in the movie, the characters just feel like there's a story happening. There's a situation happening. And they're just they're 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 talking over it. They're kind of not even there, you know. They're not on the same like plane as what else is going on. <laughs> they're there to talk and to say these words, uh, and it and it and it again. It takes kind of the uh, the horror out of the moment. Yeah, it, it does. It it's another aspect of it with and i keep going back to this but it, just because it was a film he released a year prior i think only a year prior in 54 or whatever rear window it was kind of the same thing we mentioned uh in that episode i know i haven't posted yet but where he alfred has this knack of putting the people in the movie with the main character he does it in almost all his stuff. In the rear window, he takes you on a little voyeuristic trip through the different windows that the main character, Jeffries, is looking at before you ever meet Jeffries. So you're him. In this one, yeah. in this one, you see the dead body. You're with these people having this conversation. And soon he pulls you into those people to where you're one of them, to where you really don't care about him. I, I agree and I would go further as to say that this movie is even more uh, more bizarre uh, than anything in Rear Window because Rear Window is very obviously staged and right. very obviously on a set and very obviously claustrophobic all this crazy shit is happening that we've been talking about just in a normal just like sleepy little town very beautiful uh like vermont i think it was or something like yeah. that even though i know they they had some weather and had to to build a, a lot of those uh sets out of you know to mimic some mm -hmm. of the areas that they were but it, it's all happening in this little open spaces nice houses <laughs> beautiful beautiful countryside beautiful countryside and scenery you get the scene where the four of them to you know uh, captain and marlo and the two ladies they're just walking down the country path with the shovels and there's some lighter music playing and you're just like da 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 we just buried yeah, this me it's the more twisted time. because of that <laughs> <laughs> it's far more twisted because of that uh, so 
Yeah, I think we'll wrap it up tonight, but Trouble with Harry, I can see why uh, it's your favorite Hitchcock, because not only is it a departure, yet it still has his, his, his classic style, yet it is different from so much of his other work that that it, it's a little refreshing break to where you're just like you know and he i think and my final thought is this is a film where he knows what he's making and he's letting you relax allowing you to be a little you know enjoy kind of the ridiculousness of the uh, situation and saying it's okay <laughs> Yeah, you know, or, or or that, or you know, hey, I'm sick, and now you are too for liking it. Yeah, exactly. I knew you were twisted deep down as well. Uh, <laughs> like, to seen the butt being touched, followed by the dead frog, followed <laughs> by the cupcake. Would you like a cupcake too? <laughs> Would you like a cupcake too? Oh yeah. So there you have it, folks. Trouble with Harry. See it, please. Alfred Hitchcock films. Uh, it's definitely different, especially if you're looking for, you know, a little break from his other stuff. Uh, it's still got those tense elements, but at the same time, he'll he'll allow you to laugh at those tense elements as well. Um, so, so I appreciate it, Andrew. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. And this is now the point where we give you a license to shill and you can tell our f- wonderful audience out there where they can find your stuff at. Okay. Well, thanks. I've had a lovely time being lovely on your show as always. Thanks for letting me nerd a little bit about one of my favorite filmies. I hope I've convinced some people to check it out. Um, so my friends and I here in Athens, Georgia, make our own movies. Um, we are called Gonzorific, G-O-N-Z-O-R-I-F-F-I-C. You can watch our movies on Amazon Prime. Go to Amazon.com slash V slash Gonzorific. One of our films, um, Paparazza, is, was originally written under the title Rear End Window. And the, the lead character is in a wheelchair with the... Uh, with a, a camera, but instead of taking place of uh, taking pictures of a murder, she takes uh, pictures of someone's butt uh, a number of times. Um, also, <laughs> also in the time since we've talked about Psycho on here, I have put up something that we talked about when we discussed that shower scene. Um, an old video my friends and I made about six or seven years ago called Travel Size, and we um, we just we basically did a shot for shot uh, remake of the uh, shower scene in Psycho. But um, we did it. There's a twist to it. So if you go to uh, uh, Gonzorific, look that up on YouTube. I'll look up the movie Travel Size. That whole thing is there now uh, for you to enjoy. Awesome stuff. Yes, please check it out. Uh, <laughs> you're looking for some originality out there, folks, and something different. A Gonzorific is definitely where it's at. If nothing else, for the titles alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and leave them playing even if you don't like it because Amazon gives us a whopping six cents per hour that you stream our movies. So there you go. So consider it. So before you go to bed at night, after you've watched all the library of his stuff on there once, put it on loop and just leave the browser open overnight for him so you can help support indie cinema uh, because it needs your support, folks. And it does man. We we have a lot of bras, but you know they get holes in them and stuff. So <laughs> support needed. We don't want to get poked by those wires. It's horrible when you get those wires and the chafing. Oh, so, hate it, hate it, man. Oh, 
then you get the you get itchy and you know you get the blemishes you don't want it you don't want it no you don't because <laughs> because you want to leave a little beautiful corpse like Harry. So. yes beautiful hairy corpse beautiful hairy corpse <laughs> good night everyone <laughs> oh my god oh, now i'm picturing hairy corpses so it's hard for the hair what keeps growing after the body hair and body yeah everything else but before you like if you get older you stop growing but the nose and the balls continued what is it <laughs> you know what i'm saying like you yeah. ever heard about that <laughs> fingernails and hair are supposed to grow i don't know about the nose and the no, balls. i'm talking about before you're dead like when you get old like you, you don't you don't get no more taller you don't like nothing else but like for some reason like your nose your nose gets bigger and your nose gets yeah. bigger and then that's that's keep like Dropping. eventually just tuck it into your sock i don't know what happens <laughs> Yeah, right. you, just, you wrap them around your waist. Yeah. yeah. Throw them over your shoulder like a continental soldier. Uh, over your shoulder boulder holders? No, I'm just kidding. Something like that. Yeah, I get a bra for my bean bags. <laughs> what, you, Grandpa, what are you wearing in your pants? A bra? <laughs> it's the only way I can get decent support. I'll teach you about it someday, son. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll get old too. Uh, you'll get old too if you're lucky. <laughs> So don't step on that, by the way. <laughs> hey, all my friends out there looking for more spoiler room goodness? Then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive spoiler room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups at SMPRD and on to Twitter at SpecialMarkPro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the spoiler room, as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support and remember in the spoiler room the conversation is fresh but we do spoil the movies